Welcome to Folklore on the Rocks. <laughs> All right. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, guys. Hey, I'm Logan. I'm Lindsay. And we are back with Folklore on the Rocks. So, so today we're going to do some folklore exploration, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to narrate some folktales for you. Or yeah. specifically, Logan is going to narrate some folktales for well, you. Last week we, talk, we talked about the Dome of Voy. And yes. today we kind of want to explore the folklore surrounding the stories that can generate a character like that. That can mm-hmm. really... Yeah, the, the Slavic yeah. folklore from peasants and... People that lived in rural areas in Slavic countries. Yeah, there's a lot more out there than Baba Yaga and the Doma Boy. So let's see what we find. Exactly. All right, let's get rolling. The first story. Actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. First. Go ahead. <laughs> well, we just need to talk about our cocktail. Oh, right? for sure. Yeah. We do nothing Obviously, without a good right? drink. We're folklore on the rocks. <laughs> so we are going a little bit more traditional this week and doing a Moscow mule. Yeah, that copper Because cup. Moscow mm. is Russian and Russian is Slavic. So we're, you know, we're there. Yeah. And they're yummy. And I know I promised you less lime last week but yeah, for, i lied <laughs> for those of you who are not into lime sorry sorry something make make a cranberry vodka or something yeah. vodka is very very slavic for so sure so make something with vodka mm-hmm. or make this because it's super yummy it's always a winner it is so the mix that we are suggesting to you um by our mixologist Mr. Anubis. Anubis. Oh, yeah. His mix is Stoli ginger beer, or you can use Reed's Extra, vodka, Rosie's lime juice, and then squeeze in half of a lime. He says that he likes to shake the vodka lime mix with ice and then add the ginger beer after. Generally, Moscow mules are served in a copper mug. And there's a few reasons for that, actually. One is temperature. They kind of, it, it's really good at, at conducting cold. Like metal conducts temperature exceptionally sure. well, right? And so as soon as that chilled drink hits the mug, it's going to be ice ha- cold the whole thing. I have noticed this. With these with these copper cups, they seem to frost way easier than mm-hmm. ice cups. And that's exactly it, right? Yeah. They, they take on... The temperature of the inside drink. So the second you put it to your lips, bam, it's icy cold, delicious goodness. Really great for summer, even even though we're in November. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's still yummy, though. And some of the other reasons that it's good, I was going to say second, but it's kind of multiple, actually, um, is that it tastes different, actually. Just a little bit. Yeah. So, what am I tasting yeah. here? So the copper interacts with each of the different ingredients in an interesting way. When the vodka starts touching the walls of the mug, the copper kind of starts to begin to oxidize a little bit, mm-hmm. which is why it's really important if you're doing these to have a solidly copper mug, not lined with stainless steel in the inside, because it's not going to give you any taste benefits. Yeah, the right? vodka has to touch the copper. Exactly. So it starts oxidizing a little bit, and that, that kind of boosts the aroma and the taste of the vodka. It also does something for the ginger beer because it brings out more carbonation mm-hmm. from it. Start The bubbles increase. So you get more carbonated ginger beer and it brings, it's kind of maximum fizziness, which is delicious, mm. of course. And that's mostly, that's when it's in the copper container versus like a plastic or glass one. And the lime juice is actually brought to life by 
the copper by heightening its like citrus notes and reducing this the acidity so it better complements the the spice of the ginger beer. So working all of those flavors working together with the reactions to the copper, they just they make it amazing. It's really nice, yeah. Yeah. I actually think that it's an American cocktail, I think. I wouldn't be surprised. But it's vodka and it's called Moscow. So It's got enough to pass muster. Yeah, yeah it's fine. And and we've given you a, a super great recipe for it. We're enjoying it thoroughly. Um we'll post pictures and a recipe and everything just like we normally do in our show notes. But yeah, we highly recommend it. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're going to now explore some Slavic folklore stories. We are, yes. So the title of the book that we are reading from today, and as we usually do, it's from Project Gutenberg, is called Fairy Tales of the Slav Peasants and Herdsmen. And it's from the French of Alex Chodsko. And it's translated and illustrated by Emily J. Harding. And this, this book is from 1896. Oh. Yes. So this is, you know, back mm-hmm. a minute ago. Um, and there's some really, really cool illustrations in this book. They're gorgeous. So if you want to peek at those, check out our show notes for this one as well, because I'll, I'll be putting some of those in that relate to the stories that we'll be reading today. Our first story is called The Lost Child, and Logan is going to narrate it for us. Yep, here goes. Long ago, there lived a very rich nobleman. But though he was so rich, he was not happy, for he had no children to whom he could leave his wealth. He was, besides, no longer young. Every day he and his wife went to church to pray for a son. At last, after long waiting, God sent him what they desired. Now, the evening before its arrival, the father dreamed that its chance of living would depend upon one condition, namely that its feet never touched the earth until it was twelve years old. Great care was taken that this should be avoided, and when the little stranger came, only trustworthy nurses were employed to look after him. As the years passed on, the child was diligently guarded. Sometimes he was carried in his nurse's arms, sometimes rocked in his golden cradle, but his feet never touched the ground. Now when the end of the time drew near, the father began preparations for a magnificent feast which should be given to celebrate his son's release. One day, while these were in progress, a frightful noise, followed by most unearthly yells, shook the castle. The nurse dropped the child in her terror and ran to the window. That instant, the noises ceased. On turning to take up the boy, imagine her dismay when she found him no longer there and remembered that she had disobeyed her master's orders. Hearing all her screams and lamentations, all the servants of the castle ran to her. The father soon followed, asking, What is the matter? What has happened? Where is my child? The nurse, trembling and weeping, told of the disappearance of his son, his only child. No words can tell the anguish of the father's heart. He sent servants in every direction to hunt for his boy. He gave orders. He begged and prayed. He threw away money right and left. He promised everything, if only his son might be restored to him. Search was made without loss of time, but no trace of him could be discovered. He had vanished as completely as if he had never existed. Many years later, the unhappy nobleman learned that in one of the most beautiful rooms of the castle, footsteps as of someone walking up and down, and dismal groans were heard every midnight, anxious to follow the matter up, for he thought it might in some way concern his lost son. 
There he made known that a reward of three hundred gold pieces would be given to any who would stand watch for one whole night in the haunted room. Many were willing, but not one had the courage to stay to the end. For at midnight, when the dismal groans were heard, they would run away rather than risk their lives for three hundred gold pieces. The poor father was in despair and knew not how to discover the truth of this dark mystery. Now close to the castle dwelt a widow, a miller by trade who had three daughters. They were very poor and hardly earned enough for their daily needs, and when they heard the midnight noises in the castle and the promised reward, the eldest daughter said, As we are so very poor, we have nothing to lose. Surely we might try to earn these three hundred gold pieces by remaining in the room one night. I should like to try, mother, if you will let me. The mother shrugged her shoulders. She hardly knew what to say, but when she thought of their poverty and the difficulty they had to earn a living, she gave permission for her eldest daughter to remain one night in the haunted room. Then the daughter went to ask the nobleman's consent. Have you really the courage to watch for a whole night in a room haunted by ghosts? Are you sure you are not afraid, my young girl? I am willing to try this very night, she replied. I would only ask you that you give me some food to cook for my supper, for I am very hungry. Orders were given that she should be supplied with everything she wanted, and indeed enough food was given to her, not for one supper only, but for three, and with the food, some dry firewood and a candle, and she entered the room. Like a good housewife, she first lit the fire and put on her saucepans. Then she laid the table and made the bed. This filled up the early part of the evening. The time passed so quickly that she was surprised to hear the clock strike twelve, while at the last stroke, footsteps, as of someone walking, shook the room, and dismal groans filled the air. The frightened girl ran from one corner to the other, but she could see no one. But the footsteps and the groans did not cease. Suddenly, a young man appeared and approached to her and said, For whom is this food cooked? For myself, she said. The gentle face of the stranger saddened, and after a short silence he asked again, And this table, for whom is it laid? For myself, she replied. The brow of the young man clouded over, and the beautiful blue eyes filled with tears as he had asked once more. And this bed, for whom have you made it? For myself, replied she, in the same selfish and indifferent tone. Tears fell from his eyes, and he waved his arms and vanished. Next morning she told the nobleman all that had happened, but without mentioning the painful impression her answers had made upon the stranger. The three hundred gold crowns were paid, and the father was thankful to have at last heard something that might possibly lead to the discovery of his son. On the following day, the second daughter, having been told by her sister what to do and how to answer the stranger, went to the castle to offer her services. The nobleman willingly agreed, and the orders were given that she should be provided with everything she might want. Without loss of time, she entered the room, lit the fire, put out the saucepans, spread a white cloth upon the table, made the bed, and awaited the hour of midnight. When the young stranger appeared and asked, For whom is this food prepared? For whom is this table laid? For whom is the bed made? 
she answered as her sister had bidden her. For me, for myself only. And, as on the night before, he burst into tears, waved his arms, and suddenly disappeared. Next morning, she told the nobleman all that had happened, except the sad impression her answers had made upon the stranger. Three hundred gold pieces were given to her, and she went home. On the third day, the youngest daughter wanted to try her fortune. Sisters, said she, as you have succeeded in earning three hundred crowns each, and so helping our dear mother, I too should like to do my part, and remain a night in the haunted room. Now the widow loved her youngest daughter more dearly than the others, and dreaded to expose her to any danger, but as the elder ones had been successful, she allowed her to take the chance. So, with the instructions from her sisters as to what she should do and say, and with the nobleman's consent and abundant provisions, she entered the haunted room. Having lit the fire, put on the saucepans, laid the table and made the bed, she awaited with hope and fear the hour of midnight. As twelve o'clock struck, the room was shaken by footsteps of someone who walked up and down, and the air was filled with cries and groans. The girl looked everywhere, but no living being could she see. Suddenly, there stood before her a young man, who asked in a sweet voice, "'For whom have you prepared this food?' Now her sisters had told her how to answer and how to act. But when she looked into the sad eyes of the stranger, she resolved to treat him more kindly. "'Well, you do not answer me. For whom is this food prepared?' He asked again, impatiently, as she made no reply. Somewhat confused, she said, I prepared it for myself, but you are welcome to it. At these words, his brow grew more serene. And this table? For whom is it spread? For myself, unless you will honor me by being my guest. A bright smile illuminated his face. And this bed, for whom have you made it? For myself, but if you have need of rest, it is for you. He clapped his hands for joy and replied, Ah, that's right, I accept the invitation with pleasure, and all that you have been so kind as to offer me. But wait, I pray you wait for me. I must first thank my kind friends for the care they have taken of me. A fresh, warm breath of spring filled the air while at the same moment a deep precipice opened in the middle of the floor. He descended lightly, and she, anxious to see what would happen, followed him, holding on to his mantle. Thus, when they reached the bottom of the precipice, down there a whole new world opened itself before her eyes. To the right flowed a river of liquid gold, and to the left rose high mountains of solid gold, and in the center a large meadow covered with millions of flowers. The stranger went on, the girl followed unnoticed, and as she went, he saluted the field flowers as old friends, caressing them and leaving them with regret. Then they came to a forest where the trees were made of gold. Many birds of different kinds began to sing, and flying round the young stranger, perched familiarly on his head and shoulders. And he spoke to and petted each one. While thus engaged, 
The girl broke off a branch from one of the golden trees and hid it in remembrance of this strange land. Leaving the forest of gold, they reached a wood where the trees were all of silver. Their arrival was greeted by an immense number of animals of various kinds. These gathered together and pushed against one another to get close to their friend. He spoke to each one and stroked them and petted them. Meanwhile, the girl broke off a branch of silver from one of these trees, saying to herself, These will serve me as tokens of this wonderful land, for my sisters would not believe me if I only told them of it. When the young stranger had taken leave of all of his friends, he returned by the paths he had come, and the girl had followed without being seen. He arrived at the foot of the precipice, and he began to ascend, she coming silently after, holding on to his mantle. Up they went, higher and higher, until they reached the room in the castle. The floor closed up without a trace of the opening. The girl returned to her place by the fire, where she was standing when the young man approached. All my farewells have been spoken, said he. Now we can have supper. She hastened to place upon the table the food, so hurriedly prepared, and sitting side by side, they supped together. When they had made a good meal, he said, Now it is time to rest. He lay down in the carefully made bed, and the girl placed by his side the gold and silver branches that she had picked in the mineral land. In a few moments, he was sleeping peacefully. Next day, the sun was already high in the sky, and yet the girl had not come to give an account of herself. The nobleman had become impatient. He waited and waited, becoming more and more uneasy. At last, he determined to go and see for himself what had happened. Picture to yourself the surprise and joy he felt when on entering the haunted chamber, he saw his long-lost son sleeping on the bed, while beside him sat the widow's beautiful daughter. And that moment, the son awoke. The father, overwhelmed with joy, summoned the attendants of the castle to rejoice with him in his newfound happiness. Then the young man saw the two branches of metal and said with astonishment, What do I see? Did they follow me down there? Know that by this act you have broken the spell and released me from the enchantment. These two branches will make two palaces for our future dwelling. Thereupon, he took the branches and threw them out the window. Immediately, there were seen two magnificent palaces, one of gold and one of silver. And there they lived happily as man and wife, the nobleman's son and the miller's daughter. And if not dead, they live there still. All right. Well, that was a fun story. I think that was a lovely tale. Yeah. Yeah. The past ones we've been looking at have been kind of more parables, I guess. Sure. And this is kind of more just like a fairy tale. You make the right steps and you can save the prince and get married and be happily ever after, right? Yeah. In a palace of gold or silver that magically appears, <laughs> which I think is cool. I would like to do that. Just throw a stick out a window and suddenly have a house. No, it sounds How cool really would that nice be? to me, yeah. <laughs> Interesting aspect of this is that she saves the day, kind of. She saves the prince. Yeah, that's kind of an early occurrence of this. I know that's become the in vogue thing to right. do. Right, but I mean and this. Ev everyone should get a chance to save the day. Not, not oh, to totally. say one person or another, but... This is an early occurrence of... Yeah, this is not something I would expect from that, from that time period. Yeah. You know? And it's pretty it's woke. refreshing. It's tough, definitely woke. <laughs> so that's fun. I love, I love that 
strong female character learned something before she did anything. And the reason she was successful in this is that she was kind and offered something to somebody else, right? Mm. Like her sisters were like, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. She's like, it's mine, but you can have some. <laughs> like how big of a difference does that even make, yeah. right? They clearly had plenty of food. Everything was very comfortable for them and they couldn't offer something of themselves before. But at the same time, he was spooky and spectral or whatever, you know? Like, you're in this place that you expect is haunted. And this ghost is, like, asking you questions and starts crying in front of you. Like, what are you going to do, right? Yeah. So, it's an interesting dynamic there. What would you do, you know? What would you do, Logan? Oh, if I had an answer, I think I'd have a lot more things in this life figured out. But... (laughs) (laughs) I think it was enjoyable. I think that the places described in the story sound beautiful. Oh, yeah. It it conjures up a lot of old illustrations from storybooks. Mm-hmm. And it's more than just generic fantasy setting. It has a certain yeah. flavor to it. Well, and it's like, where do you think those came from? Like Russian fairy tales evoking this beautiful fantasy land, right? Yeah. And where did all the fantasy lands that we expect today come from? stuff like this right yeah the branches thing was a little weird i kept expecting that something bad was going to happen because she was taking parts of this land away Mm -hmm. from it and for it to be the thing that released him that kind of confused me a little bit actually because if her bringing the branches out and her following him in are what broke the enchantment i don't really understand what he was doing saying goodbye to everything yeah like he didn't know that that was gonna happen right so it's a little weird and maybe i'm just not like comprehending the story enough or something but that is an odd aspect for sure yeah so i don't know but well good choice yeah overall i really liked it it was very imagery heavy very uh, evocative yeah so we're gonna take a quick break for a promo Our very first promo for this episode is for We Drink and We Know Things. Ooh, I like it. So, obviously, we already love them because they like Game of Thrones, right? Oh, yeah. Um, But they are boozy friends. uh, They are a married couple, and they just drink and they talk about random, weird, and awesome topics. Cool. So, a variety of things, all stuff that Logan and I like. So, check them out. Uh, I think you guys will really like them. Hey, guys. Hello. Do you like listening to stories of true crime? What about conspiracy theories? Maybe some creepy tales of haunted houses or objects? Or simply hearing about anything and everything weird. Or drinking? drinking? I'm Andrea. And I'm Tom. We're a comedy podcast called We Drink and We Know Things. A husband and wife duo that drink box wine and tell each other separate stories week after week. A weekly podcast doused in alcohol. And lit with knowledge. Clinkies! Let's move on to the next one. Sounds good. Now, this is from the same book. Uh, This one's titled, The Journey to the Sun and the Moon. So this should be a fun one. Here we go. The Journey to the Sun and the Moon. There were once two young people who loved each other dearly. The young man was called John, 
and the girl Annette. In her sweetness she was like unto a dove, in her strength and bravery she resembled an eagle. Her father was a rich farmer, and owned a large estate, but Jean's father was just a poor mountain shepherd. Annette did not in the least mind her lover being poor, for she was rich in goodness, nor did she think her father would object to their marrying. One day Jean put on his best clothes, and he went to ask the farmer for his daughter's hand. The farmer listened without interrupting him, and then replied, If you would marry Annette, go and ask the son why he does not warm the night as well as the day. Then inquire of the moon why she does not shine by day as well as by night. When you return with these answers, you shall not only have my daughter, but all of my wealth. These conditions in no way daunted John who placed his hat on the side of his head, and taking a loving farewell of Annette, set out in search of the sun. On reaching a small town at the close of day, he looked about for a place wherein to pass the night. Some kind people offered him shelter and invited him to sup with them, inquiring as to the object of his journey. When they heard he was on his way to visit the sun and the moon, the master of the house begged him to ask the sun why the finest pear tree they had in the town had, for several years, ceased to bear fruit, for it used to produce the most delicious pears in the world. Jean willingly promised to make this inquiry, and the next day continued his journey. He walked on and on, over mountain and moor, through valley and dense forest, until he came to a land where there was no drinking water. The inhabitants, when they heard the object of Jean's journey, begged him to ask the sun and moon why a well, that was the chief water supply of the district, no longer gave good water. Jean promised to do so, and resumed his journey. After long and weary wanderings he reached the sun's abode, and found him about to start on his travels. "'O oh, sun,' said he, "'stop one moment. Do not depart without first answering a few questions.' "'Be quick, then, and speak, for I have to go all round the world to-day.' "'Pray, tell me, why do you not warm or light the earth by night as well as day?' "'For this simple reason, that if I did, the world and everything upon it would be very soon burnt up.' Jean then put his questions concerning the pear tree and the well, but the sun replied that his sister, the moon, would be able to answer him on those points.' Hardly had the sun finished speaking before he was obliged to hurry off, and Jean travelled far and fast to meet the moon. On coming up to her, he said, "'Would you kindly stop one moment? There are a few questions I should like to ask you.' "'Very well. Be quick, for the earth is waiting for me,' answered she, and stood still at once. "'Tell me, dear moon, uh, why do you not light the world by day as well as by night?' "'And why you never warm it?' "'Because if I lit up the world by day as well as by night, "'the plants would produce neither fruit nor flower. "'And though I do not warm the earth, "'I supply it with dew, which makes it fertile and fruitful.' "'She was then about to continue her course. "'But Jean, begging her to stop one moment longer, "'questioned her about the pear tree which had ceased to bear fruit. "'And she answered him thus.' While the king's eldest daughter remained unmarried, the tree bore fruit every year. After her wedding, she had a little child who died and was buried under this tree. Since then there has been neither fruit nor flower on its branches. 
If the child be given Christian burial, the tree will produce blossom and fruit as in the past. The moon was just moving off when Jean begged her to stop and answer one more question, which was why the inhabitants of a certain land were unable to obtain from their well the clear and wholesome water it had formerly poured forth. She replied, Under the mouth of the well, just where the water should flow, lies an enormous toad which poisons it continuously. The brim of the well must be broken and the toad killed. Then the water will be as pure and wholesome as formerly. The moon then resumed her journey, for Jean had no more questions to ask her. He joyfully ran back to claim his Annette, but forgot not to stop on coming to the land where they were short of water. The inhabitants ran out to meet him, anxious to know what he had found out. Jean led them to the well, and there explained the instructions he had received from the moon, at the same time showing them what to do. Sure enough, right under the brim of the well, they found a horrible toad, which poisoned everything. When they had killed it, the water immediately became pure and transparent, and sweet to the taste as before. All the people brought Jean presents, thus laden with riches again, he set out. On arriving at the town where grew the unfruitful pear tree, he was warmly greeted by the prince, who at once asked if he had forgotten to question the stars about the tree. I never forget a promise once made, replied Jean, but I doubt whether it will be agreeable to your majesty to know the cause of the evil. He then related all the moon had said, and when his directions had been carried out, they were all rewarded by seeing the tree blossom immediately. Jean was loaded with rich gifts, and the king presented him with the most valuable horse, by means of which he reached home very quickly. Little Annette was wild with joy on hearing of her lover's safe return, for she had wept and suffered much during his absence. But her father's feelings were very different. He wished never to see Jean again, and had, indeed, sent him in search of the sun in the hope he might be burnt up by the heat. True it is that man proposes and God disposes. Our young shepherd returned, not only safe and sound, but with more knowledge than any of his evil wishers. For he had learned why the sun neither lights nor warms the earth by night as in the day, and why the moon does not give warmth and only lights up during the night. Besides all this, he had brought with him riches which far exceeded those of his father-in-law, and a steed full of fire and vigor. So Annette's father could find no fault and the wedding was celebrated with joy and feasting. Large quantities of roasted crane were eaten, and glasses overflowing with mead were emptied. So beautiful, too, was the music, that for long, long after it was heard to echo among the mountains, and even now its sweet sounds are heard at times by travelers among those regions. That was pretty cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I see. When I when I first read the title of that, I thought it was the the Nordic folklore story, uh, "East of the Sun, West of the Moon," which has been turned into a Mercer Meyer oh, uh, kind of storybook. Well, we will definitely do that when we do a Norse creature. Yes, please. Yes. Uh, but this one is still pretty cool. Uh, yeah. what, what did you like about this story, Lindsay? Um, I think it had some really fun aspects. Like anytime someone in a story is going to go talk to the sun or talk to the moon or things that are literally impossible to talk yeah. to because A, you can't get to them and B, they're not people. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
it's always interesting. You know, it's, it's always this big, long hero's journey to get to this place, which clearly this character is, right? You know, mm-hmm. he's a hero. He's the main person in the story doing all of the deeds. And I thought it was interesting that, he, you know, he's like, I never forget a promise. I'm doing this to help everybody. And I'm going to find all the answers that I need to find. And I'm going to get back to my woman. And he does, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I guess I kind of expect folktales to always kind of end in a twisted way. And I kind of expected with Slavic that they would um, be a little bit more graphic. But maybe we're just not looking at the right stories. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But uh, I think my favorite part was with the well. Yeah. With, yeah. with the, the big old toad. The big toad down there making <laughs> the water poisonous. Uh, that's a that's an interesting thing. Um, toads are usually not a, that large. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're almost never positive. They're something that is they're they're, they're turned that's into true. princes. They have poisonous skin. They are something a uh, thing you don't want near you. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things it, just to draw parallels back to Mercer Mayer's story, uh, which was taken again from kind of Scandinavian folklore. Mm-hmm. They're geographically close. Yeah, there was a there was a toad in that story that uh, talked about how the water is too cloudy and he will dive down there. He'd be the only one that can that can retrieve the treasure that's at the bottom of the pond. Mm-hmm. Um, but pretty much, it it does kind of keep in the theme. Uh, uh, if you can't see what's in the water, you can't trust it. Yeah. And no, definitely. Um, they they always kind of add an element of I don't want to say evil, but like. A little bit of malevolence? Yeah, yeah. There's a bit of a sinister Trix- nature to it, Trixina- for sure. Trixiness? Yeah. Trixie Hobbitses? Mm-hmm. Something like that. I'm kind of wondering how they didn't figure that out before. Yeah. Like, maybe open the well if you aren't getting any... I don't know. That's neither here nor there, right? Yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> logic, people. Come on. <laughs> the story's got to make some sense. <laughs> I know. Um, what do you think about the end with the dad? Him like, well, I sent you off on this pointless quest and you came back, but I'm not happy about it. Yeah. And then figuring out that he's rich and then he's like, oh, well, then it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Again, maybe it just kind of comes down to with my own schema that I bring to the story. Mm -hmm. But uh, the other version of the story, the one that I grew up with. The final line is that you can journey to the castle east of the sun and west of the moon, and you will find a welcome within. That's very much the same story here. Just this idea of, you know, it it was heard to echo among the mountains, and even now the sweet sounds are heard by travelers among the regions. Yeah. So good things are happening. Yeah, and and the good deeds that he did echo throughout time and and place. Yeah. You know, it's a happy story. It is. Des- besides the father being kind of a dick. Yes, but you know, fathers don't know everything. I feel like Often that's a good lesson for true. every father to learn. <laughs> yes. And for kids to remember. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's a people thing, too. Yeah. You know? We've got the father from the story before this who his entire goal in life was just to get his son back. And he did. Mm-hmm. You know? And then we have another story where the father's kind of a dick. But at the same time, you know, can you fault him for wanting his daughter to have the best she can have? Right? And he's this poor peasant kid mm-hmm. before. And he wants her to have a good life. So, maybe... 
not a great thing if she's happy already, but a little understandable, I guess. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for bringing that one up. That one's a cool story. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to take another quick break for our next promo. And uh, this one is for Brew Crime. And they are two guys that are friends that talk about craft beer and true crime. Yep. Through, pretty pretty self-explanatory. Through the lens of inebriation, truth shall come. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So take a listen. This is Brew Crime, a craft beer and true crime podcast. I'm Mike. And I am Beck, and we are your hosts. On Brew Crime, we each take a true crime story and we pair it with a craft beer. You can find our show on your favorite podcast apps. If you can't find it, contact us and we'll try to change that. We can be found at www.brewcrime.com or on Twitter at Brew Crime and also on all the social media platforms for Pacific Beer Chat at Pacific Beer Chat. We can also be found at Brewcrime at PacificBeerChat.com. Join us as we discuss depraved killers, stupid criminals, and likely some completely unrelated tangents. Cheers. Cheers. All right. This one is The History of Prince Slugobill, or The Invisible Knight. There once was a king who had an only son called Prince Slugobill. Now this young prince loved nothing better than traveling. So fond of it was he that, when he was twenty years old, he gave his father no rest until he allowed him to go on a short journey, in short, to travel all over the world. Thus he had hoped to see many beautiful and strange things, to meet with marvelous adventures, to gain happiness, knowledge, and wisdom, and to return a better man in every way than when he left. Fearing his youth and want of experience might lead him astray, his father sent him with a valued and faithful servant. When all was ready, Slugobill bade the king adieu and set off to visit the land of his dreams. As he was jogging along, allowing his horse to go at its own pace, he saw a beautiful white swan pursued by an eagle about to pounce down upon it. Seizing his crossbow, he took such good aim that the eagle fell dead at his feet. The rescued swan stopped in its flight and turned round to look at him. Valiant Prince Slugabill, it is not a mere swan who thanks you for your most timely help, but the daughter of the Invisible Knight, who, to escape the pursuit of the giant Costi, has changed herself into a swan. My father will gladly be of service to you in return for this kindness to me. When in need of his help, you only have to say three times, Invisible Knight, come to me. Having thus spoken, the swan flew away. The prince looked after her for a long time, and then continued on his journey. He traveled on and on, over high mountains, through dark forests, across barren deserts, and so to the middle of a vast plain, where every green thing had been burnt up by the rays of the sun. Not a single tree, not even a bush or plant of any kind was to be seen. No bird was heard to sing, no insect to hum, no breath of air to stir the stillness of this land of desolation. Having ridden for some hours, the prince began to suffer terribly from thirst. So, sending his servant in one direction, he himself went another, in search of some well or spring. 
They soon found a well full of cool, fresh water, but unluckily without either rope or bucket to draw it up. After a few moments' thought, the prince said to its servant, "'Take the leathern strap used for tethering our horses, put it round your body, and then I will let you down into the well. I cannot endure this thirst any longer.' "'Your Highness,' answered the servant, "'I am heavier than you, and you are not as strong as I. You will not be able to pull me out of the water.' If you, therefore, will go down first, then I shall pull you up, and when you have quenched your thirst. The prince took his advice, and fastening an end of the strap under his arms, was lowered down into the well. When he had enjoyed a deep draught of clear water, and filled a bottle of the same for his servant, he gave the signal that he wished to be pulled up. But instead of obeying, the servant said, Listen, prince, from the day you were born up to the present moment, you have never known anything but luxury, pleasure, and happiness, while I have suffered poverty and slaved all my life. Now we will change places, and you shall be my servant. If you refuse, you had better make your peace with God, for I shall drown you. Stop, stop, faithful servant, cried the prince. You will not be so wicked as to do that. What good will it do you? You will never be so happy as you have been with me and you will know what dreadful tortures are in store for murderers in the other world. Their hands are plunged into boiling pitch, their shoulders bruised with blows from red-hot iron clubs, and their necks sawn with wooden saws. You may cut and saw me as much as you like in the other world, said the servant, but I shall drown you in this. And he began to let the strap slide between his fingers. Very well, said the prince. I agree and accept your terms. You shall be the prince, and I shall be your servant. I give you my word. I have no faith in words that are carried away by the first wind that blows. Swear to confirm your promise in writing. I swear. The servant then let down paper and pencil and dictated the following. I hereby declare that I renounce my name and rights in favor of the bearer of this writing, and that I acknowledge him to be my prince and that I am his servant, written in the well. Signed, Prince Slugabill. The man, having taken this document, which he was quite unable to read, drew out the prince, took off the clothes in which he was dressed, and made him wear those he himself had just taken off. Thus disguised, they traveled for a week, and arriving at a large city, went straight into the king's palace. There the false prince dismissed his pretended servant to the stables, and presenting himself before the king, addressed him thus in a very haughty manner. King, I am come to demand the hand of your wise and beautiful daughter, whose fame has reached my father's court. In exchange, I offer an alliance, and in case of refusal, war! Prayers and threats are equally out of place, answered the king. Nevertheless, prince, as proof of the esteem in which I hold the king your father, I grant your request, but only on one condition, that you deliver us from a large army that now besets our town. Do this, and my daughter shall be yours. Certainly, said the impostor. I can soon get rid of them. However near they be, I undertake by tomorrow morning to have freed the land entirely of them. In the evening, he went to the stables, and calling his pretended servant, saluted him respectfully and said, Listen, my dear friend, I, I want you to go immediately outside the town and destroy the besieging army that surrounds it. 
but do it in such a way that everyone will believe that I have done it. In exchange for this favor, I promise to return the writing in which you renounce your title of prince and engage to serve me. The prince put on his armor, mounted his horse, and rode outside the city gates. There he stopped and called three times to the invisible knight. Behold me, prince, at your service, said a voice close to him. I will do anything you wish, for you saved my only daughter from the hands of the giant Costi, and I shall always be grateful. Slugabill showed him the army he had to destroy before the morning, and the invisible knight whistled and sang, Magoo, horse with a golden mane, I want your help yet once again. Walk not the earth, but fly through space, as lightning flash or thunders race, swift as the arrow from the bow. Come quick yet, so that none can know. At that instant, a magnificent gray horse appeared out of a whirlwind of smoke, and from his head there hung a golden mane. Swift as the wind was he, flames of fire burst forth from his nostrils, lightnings flashed from his eyes, and volumes of smoke came from his ears. The invisible knight leaped upon his back, saying to the prince, Take my sword and destroy the left wing of the army, while I attack the right wing in the center. The two heroes rushed forward and attacked the invaders with such fury that on all sides men fell like chopped wood or dried grass. A frightful massacre followed, but it was in vain that the enemy fled, for the two knights seemed to be everywhere. Within a short time, only the dead and dying remained on the battlefield, and the two conquerors quietly returned to town. On reaching the palace steps, the invisible knight melted into the morning mist and the serving-man prince returned to the stables. That same night, it happened that the king's daughter, not being able to sleep, had remained on her balcony and seen and heard all that had taken place. She had overheard the conversation between the impostor and the real prince, and seen the latter call to his assistants the invisible knight, and then doff his royal manner in favor of the false prince. She had seen and understood everything, but she determined to keep silence a little longer. But when the next day, the king, her father, celebrated the victory of the false prince with great rejoicings, loaded him with honors and presents, and calling his daughter, expressed a wish that she should marry him, the daughter could be silent no longer. She walked up to the real prince, who was waiting at a table with the other servants, took his arm, and leading him to the king, said, Father, and all good people, this is the man who has saved our country from the enemy, and whom God has destined to be my husband. He to whom you pay these honors is but a vile impostor, who has robbed his master of name and rights. Last night I witnessed such deeds as I has never seen nor ear heard, but which shall be told afterward. Bid this traitor show the writing which proves the truth of what I say. When the false prince had delivered up the paper, signed by the serving-man prince, it was found to contain the following words. The bearer of this document, the false and wicked servant of the serving-man prince, shall receive the punishment his sin deserves. Signed, Prince Slugabill. What? 
What is the real meaning of that writing? Asked the traitor, who could not read. Most assuredly, was the reply. Then he threw himself at the king's feet and begged for mercy. But he received his punishment, for he was tied to the tails of four wild horses and torn to pieces. Prince Slugabill married the princess. It was a magnificent wedding. I myself was there, and I drank of the mead and wine. But they only touched my beard. They did not enter my mouth. All right. Yeah, the, the Prince Slugabill. What did Slug-a-mobile. you think? Slugmobile. <laughs> yeah, Slugmobile. <laughs> what a great name. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I'll, I'll admit that the name was a factor in choosing this story. But I, 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 but I really liked it. I like that, um, I don't know, you can have characters with these fantastical, goofy names, but there are still situations that are kind of universal. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of someone coveting uh, a position and... and forcing or blackmailing their way into some place they don't belong that's pretty common uh yes yeah um the chance encounters with a stranger and 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 making a new friend that you may you know call upon later that's pretty universal right there mm-hmm. who couldn't use a, a friendship with the invisible knight he seems right. like a good guy to know seems pretty useful to me yeah I'd like to be able to call on him at any point in time. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Yeah. Now, now, what did you think of being drawn and quartered for? Oh, God. <laughs> How awful. <laughs> like, granted, this servant was a dick, but... He was... Drawn yeah. and quartered is pretty severe. Yeah. Well, you know what, kids? This is what happens when you don't read. <laughs> so, you better be literate. <laughs> <laughs> or you will be summarily executed. <laughs> Oh, God. You never know. It might come to that someday. Yeah. yeah well, that's... I hope not. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, reading is power. Knowledge is power. There you right? go. <laughs> that's our lesson here. Also acceptable. Don't be a dick. And also, Learn how to read. Also acceptable. And knowing is half the battle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because he obviously did not know. Yeah. That's my favorite part of the story. The fact that he was the one that gave the note to the king that oh, said... I'm an idiot, yep. basically. And I like that he probably kept it, you know, just treasured. He he probably kept it right, in, in like yeah. a little scroll case so close to his heart. And <laughs> this is this is the most important thing I possess. Yeah. The brands imitrator. <laughs> so great. So great. And I loved the, um, the the swan maiden. I feel like that's an image we see in a lot of folklore. It is. Yeah. I, I kind of wish that she had been more of an empowered character. Um, yeah. But I mean, we get that female wise in the other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, old stories, you can't, we just accept that it was a different time. Mm -hmm. Women were swans. Well, and actually, I mean, from like a feminist standpoint, this, uh, the princess at the end, you know, she's the one who's like, yeah, I know what's going on. Yeah. She knew what was up. Let me solve this for you without much fuss. Yeah. Uh, He's right. He's wrong. It is I'm going to sh- marry Slugmobile. Yeah, Slugmobile. Slayer of eagles. Jeez. <laughs> right. And, yeah, that, that, <laughs> but he was attacking the swan. Okay. So he was just defending an he, animal. He's the same guy that, that would run out onto the beach shooing away seagulls from the sea turtles. It's a circle <laughs> of life. You gotta... You, <laughs> but they're so cute and tiny. Observe without interacting. Yeah, I would be that person. <laughs> <laughs> but I also hate sequels too, yep. so that has something to do with that. Yeah. Well, that's the story of Prince Slugmobile. 
So those have been fun. I like the stories. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun part of the world to explore and a fun, you know, little dash of culture into Mm -hmm. what we get here in the West. Yeah, and we'll deep our feet into more of those tales in the future when we come back to this place Probably in quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's a fun area. And I like, like we talked about last week, it kind of harkens me back to, to playing the Witcher games. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I just, in my, in my mind's eye, I see these beautiful landscapes that they have in these games. And that's exactly where I go mm-hmm. in mind with these stories, this landscape, um, these lush forests and beautiful meadows and, wildlife everywhere kind of stuff yeah you know so yeah the imagery is really cool and i i like that they are more cheerful than most of the tales that we've talked about in the past yeah (laughs) um so yeah i've I've really enjoyed that but um so we're gonna wrap up today's episode i think we had some good stuff yeah thank you so much for joining us everybody um so once again you can find us on instagram and facebook at folklore on the rocks you can find us at Twitter at, at Folklore Rocks. <laughs> um, pictures, notes, and sources are on our website at folkloreontherocks.com. This one you might want to do because we'll put some illustrations from this book up. And That's the coolest part. Oh, There's, totally. If you can see kind of mm-hmm. what goes with these stories. There's some really cool stuff yeah. there. And her, illustra- her illustrations are gorgeous in this book too i mean i'm i'm partial to that style so that's probably part of it but it's, it feels like a, a kind of art nouveau yeah yeah that old esque. kind of pen and ink uh, mm-hmm. almost woodcut yeah. style and it's yeah. exactly the right period of time for mm-hmm. our nouveau too so it makes a lot of sense but we also have patreon we have a paypal button on our website um merch shop is coming soon might be out we'll see i don't know also if you've got any personal stories about a creature a monster a cryptid if you don't know even if you don't know what it was you can email them to us at stories at folklore and the mm-hmm. um we want to do a listener's episode so please get those in to us please feel free to rate us and leave us a review on itunes like we talked about last week if you leave a review and send me your screenshot and your address we will get you out some stickers. These will be some cool yeah. stuff. And they are very cool stickers. Yeah. So please do that. And then if um, if we get 100 reviews, we're going to do a listener's episode, a bonus listener's episode. So it's extra, extra content for you guys. And it's a listener-selected creature, too. So you get some say in what we do. Yeah. Which is always great. Um, and just... Tell your friends about us. Yes, please spread the word. Yeah. Uh, the more the merrier. We want to have everybody invited to our cool little party here. Come play with us. Yeah, yeah. We try to come come at things with an open mind and not be super skeptical about stuff. And it's about exploration as, as everybody. So if you don't really know this stuff or if somebody you know is not really into cryptids, but they might like this podcast, please, yeah, yeah tell, tell them about it. Well, and it could even be that they really enjoy the folktale episodes yeah. and want to skip the other ones. And that's totally that's fine. That's totally fine. Or if you want to listen to the creatures and skip these ones, that's also fine. Or if you just want to make fun of us like Statler and Waldorf, also, also totally fine. fine. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, that's all for us today. We will see you next Sunday. Yes, please. Come back and join us. We would love to have you once again here at Folklore on the Rocks. Wow. <laughs>